0: Greetings, greenhouse people, and welcome to another installment of Tech on Demand, where our goal is always to bring you tips, tricks, and information to produce your best crops ever. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and I'm happy to be joined by two industry veterans who've both had stellar careers bringing new crops to market and moving them through supply chains into just about every market imaginable. Our topic this time is the professional landscape segment, a huge part of our industry, and one with particular wants and needs and nuances. And growers that understand how to serve the landscape market have seen significant growth. And the key word in that sentence is understand. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Lisa Lacey and Jeff Gibson, two people who understand this market. Lisa is a portfolio manager with Pan American Seed, a brilliant plant guru, and someone who I learn from every time I have the opportunity to hear her talk varieties. And she has worked on a lot of them. She also has a really keen market sense and sees trends far before they come to fruition, which helps us all out in the industry. And Jeff is landscape and independent garden center business manager with Ball Horticultural, and through his career has worn just about every single hat at Ball. And when you see him, he's usually wearing a hat. He knows our industry inside and out and is known for his ability to learn markets and help growers produce and deliver the crops relevant to each one. We are really lucky to have them both join us for this Tech On Demand podcast. So welcome, you guys.
1: Thanks, Bill. It's great to be here with you and Jeff to talk landscape and landscape products. And uh, we appreciate being here. And before we begin, I want to reference that industry vet's comment because Jeff and I not only have some industry time, but we've worked together for a long time. We go back to probably the late 1980s, early 1990s working together. At the time, Jeff represented Pan American Products, and I was working in the Ball Seed Department. And so I'm sure we were talking about products and garden performance and impatiens and petunias and marigolds back in the day. Uh, so it's kind of nice to see this come to full circle and talk about products again with uh, Jeff today.
2: Absolutely, Lisa, I couldn't agree more. And uh, thank you, Bill, for having us on. I'm really excited to be, always excited to talk about the landscape market and and the varieties that we sell. And Lisa's absolutely right. We go way, way back. And um, it's kind of reassuring actually that we're still able to talk about a lot of the varieties and how they've evolved over time. And uh, we're still at it, so. Mm -hmm.
0: That's true. And I, I'm sure that, that we're going to talk about varieties today that, that you guys were talking about back then. But the cool thing is that the new technology and all the new breeding that, uh, that's that been done by companies like Pan American Seed to really take these crops to the next level. So actually, before we jump into the specifics, I do have a couple more general questions. Um, going back to that veteran status. Lisa, I'm going to start with you. So when you think over the course of your career, um, what changes have you seen in how growers work with the landscape side of the industry?
1: That's a really good question. And I think mean, three things come to my mind, you know, first of all, it's production specifically for the landscape market, you know, landscapers working with growers, growers working with landscapers to plan ahead or schedule. I think that's, that's been one evolution in the marketplace, um, that collaboration working together. Um, Secondarily, I think the production sizes. Uh, production sizes went from a lot of small cell packs uh, to now we see much more, you know, 1801, six-inch, quartz, even baskets, you know, really mature material being dropped into landscapes or large city planners, whereas before it was a lot of very, very small material. And I think... Thirdly, and what I'm most excited about, of course, are the products. The product offering for the landscape market has certainly diversified. In the 1990s, or you know, back when Jeff and I were working together, there was a lot of standard petunias. There were standard marigolds. There were the original Walleriana impatiens. And while today a lot of these crops still are around, a lot of them have evolved, like you mentioned, Bill. So we've got interspecific impatiens. We've got spreading petunias. We've got Interspecific begonias, and there's a lot more vegetative product that's used in landscape, in addition to seed. I mean, traditionally it was a lot of seed input. So really, there's diversification and change in several areas that I've noticed over the course of the last few years. And I'm sure Jeff might have some additional thoughts on that as well.
0: For sure, and I love the fact that you brought up the collaboration. And I know that's a lot of uh, a lot of what Jeff um, has, has been working on uh, for the last probably at least 10 years um, w- within uh, the the landscape segment. So Jeff, why don't you talk a little bit about what you've learned or what you've, uh, you know, what you've discerned from talking to growers and landscapers um, during, during your time? Because I know that you, you certainly talk with both of them quite a bit.
2: I do. Uh, one foot in the landscape land and one foot in the IGC land and another third foot in uh, Varieties, I guess. Um, it's been, re- and that's exactly right, um, Lisa. I think you mentioned something about uh, the years going back and and working with the with the growers. Um, I, I, in anticipation of this podcast, I was I was thinking about what would be the best thing to go back and refer to. Um, for many years, I was conducting surveys with interns that we had at Ball. And uh, over the years, there was a there was two very consistent themes on every single survey over the course of about well now two decades. Um, first point of which is landscapers definitely rely on their growers for two things really. When it comes time to plant, it's all about availability and trust. So the landscape trade out there to a person really place a great deal of trust in the grower recommendations and that's always been the case and it continues to be the case so this, so they really really trust their growers on what works well in their region thus the important of the other aspect of the job that i have here at ball which is sending out university trials um, there the change you know lisa mentioned changes in pack sizes And um, that has actually affected the landscape trade in very significant ways. Um, uh, Planting bigger plants. Um, One of the things that I, uh, well, one of the things that's true with landscape is that the plant, the, the expectations for plants these days is way more, I think, than in present days. So the general expectation is that plants, annual plants, will last at least four months, maybe six, and that's a lot to ask of a lot of annuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we spend so much time trying to do the improvements, and I think Lisa's gonna talk about that that later. Um, the other thing that's, that's, that's really been, I'll mention this several times probably over the course of this, so labor is such a factor in the professional landscape trade that it affects how they work, how they plant, how they buy plants and all of that. So we've seen, um, and to that end at the same time, the growers themselves are getting more pointed on how, how they can get their landscape clients to interact with them earlier and earlier. So the, it used to be the case that there was a whole lot of surplus so it was, things were good, plants, growing plants wasn't terribly expensive, the inputs were cheaper, as Lisa kind of referred to, with the changes in pack sizes. But in this day and age, uh, people are basically planting to plan, um, and that goes for the landscape trade too. So historically, landscape growers would look at what they grew last year for their landscape trade, and they grow that and 10%, or that and 20%. And they just don't, they're really reluctant to do that because they want to sell exactly how much that they have on their planting plan for profitability and no more, which results in uh, landscapers now finding themselves contacting growers that they used to rely on and not being able to get product. That's why the aspect of pre-books for the landscape trade is so, so, so important every year the growers that i know that sell to the landscape trade they ask and ask and ask in fall trying to get orders but the landscape trade to a person rarely thinks about their color needs until it's upon them in early spring so we're sitting in the middle of uh, middle of january right now and there's and the, and there's landscapers that are just now thinking about what plants they want in their their landscapes and those have already they're being shipped to growers right now. They're already planned. The production has already, you know, the production plan for most greenhouses is full. So that's, that's, that's an aspect of it. And back to the labor for just a second. Um, you know, the growers that I've seen that have really excelled in selling to the landscape trade bill are those that are, that can come up with practices that help alleviate labor. So one good example of that is pre-staging uh, plant material on racks that go directly to job sites. So there's many growers out there that constant, and it's an expense on their side and it's time on their side, but it generally is so well thought of by their landscape clients that it keeps them coming back time and time again as loyal, uh, uh, customers. Also they're pushing growers are doing better and better on creating online systems, for placing POs, because within the landscape channel, the amount of knowledge about color work is is tenuous, uh, they'll have some, there are very good color managers in many of the landscape operations that I've met over the years, uh, but there's a huge amount of churn, and so the next season you might get a person that's not well-seasoned, so they can, it's really important, especially now in this electronic world, that they can look at past invoices and get a sense for what's happening, thus the importance of POs and online work and whatnot, and that's, that's been a big, a big issue. Um, uh, some of the other things that the gr- that landscapers rely on that they may or may not know their growers are doing has to do with plant health. So as I said, there's expectations for plants to land and last in the landscape for a really long time, um, uh, but they don't know how that comes about. One of, the, one of the things that a lot of the growers use is uh, green shield, which is uh, a preventative that will help plants like zinnias and marigolds and things like that that they use and they just apply it and uh, many of the landscapers don't even know that that it has it but it's what is contributing to their success of their planting for their clients out in the landscape so those are some of the things that you know um, we we have seen evolve within the landscape trade
0: and it, it does come back to understanding the needs of of that specific customer and not just thinking of all, you know, everybody who's buying your plants are not the same. Maybe it, is, maybe it does come down to pre-staging the plants. Maybe it does come down to applying some sort of a preventative um, to, to, to avoid challenges in the landscape. But what it really comes back to at the end is building loyalty. And and you do that through establishing an understanding and a, and a mutual respect and really uh I, I think thank both of you for those insights it's clear that this is a segment that's you know hugely critical to pan am and to ball um and i think that our industry is really lucky to have you guys looking out for the landscapers in terms of plant selection and how uh how you can help the business relationships pre- between the greenhouses and the installers so let's dig a little bit deeper into that jeff you shared trends already um, certainly touched on labor and, you know, the movement toward larger sizes going into the landscape. Can you, can you take it a little bit further with a kind of a bigger picture approach and, and share some of the, you know, maybe three or four big picture product trends that you see getting attention with the professional landscapers these days? And, you know, if you can maybe fold in how those trends relate to, to the labor um, challenge that you did mention already.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Bill. Um, uh, good good questions there. Um, back to the basics, that's that's where I would say a trend, well, not really a trend, a reality for, for many of the reasons that I alluded to earlier. So if you have a labor pool of people that are doing color work out in the landscape and you have less knowledge amongst that staff on how to plant these plants or what to do with them, um, there's a tendency for the firm to go back to the basics and just say, you know what, look, we're just gonna know, we we only, we know what we normally use, we're gonna use begonias, petunias, vinca, pansies, marigolds, coleus, and zinnia, and not surprisingly, those are the categories that, you know, 25 years ago were in vogue, are back in vogue now with some new additions, uh, certainly, and, and Lisa's gonna talk about one, uh, in particular with the Beacon and Patience later on here. Um, the, and COVID brought its own issues within the landscape trade. That also pushed on labor because it meant that they had to stage crews differently, getting them to the job sites differently. So going back to that racking thing that I was talking about earlier where growers are putting together plants on racks, that became super critical for timing to get it to the job site when their crews were there simply because it was so difficult to get the crews there. So back to the basics, that's definitely what we're seeing plant-wise. Containers, this kind of goes with something that Lisa said earlier. Um, I guess the term there is, you know, less is more and make more of a show. Uh, one of the things that I constantly remind folks it, and Lisa re- referred to this as well, is that, you know, when we Lisa and you and I were starting out, you you mentioned that every the plants were in beds uh, typically, and it, it was all about bedding plants, bedded out plants. And with the evolution of the market in general, as landscapers evolved into new clients, such as uh, hospitality, malls, uh, Theme parks, things like that. Um, there's not as, literally, not as much bed space in the ground, so they've turned to containers more and more. So as a general trend, containers within the landscape trade has risen considerably. Um, and I, I always say, you know, <laughs> if you have a beautiful planting out at the front of, say, an amusement park, the thing that people will remember, maybe not the main entrance. Or maybe a a corporate park would maybe be a better example you know they're paying for beds out in the landscape but the things that the person that's paying for the design that they will remember is two beautiful well-done combination containers at the entrance where they walk into their building and i tell them that all the time that every single head in the audience goes yeah that's right so if we just simply encourage them to take planters and put them at the right door um, you're going to get a lot more attention um, and and there's a whole lot of different plant material that go into it and as lisa you said earlier a lot of those plant materials are bigger so um, bill i think you said it earlier um, sun patience has become a bigger deal those are by nature bigger growing plants and they're very utilitarian they can use them in different spots great in containers uh, but they get big And um, so that that container work, I guess that's enough said on that. Longevity, I mentioned earlier already, you know, the expectation that plants need to live four or five months, sun patients can certainly do that. Uh, We've got a whole host, Lisa, that we know, uh, interspecific begonias that we're working on. The use of tropical plants is not new at all, but it's accelerated. And right now, actually because of the interest in house plants, especially online, It's pushing back on the landscape trade and their inability to get tropical plants. And the tropical plant industry is a really fascinating uh, thing uh, in Florida, generally centered in Florida and shipped out through there. But I mean, so shipments come up and box loads and landscapers are starting to learn that, Oh, I can't be so specific on the kinds of, tropicals I need to get and when I do get them I don't complain (laughs) because you're lucky to get them and so that's that's been a very much a trend in recent days Um, the longevity of plants is kind of what I was getting around to so you're seeing a lot more things that Lisa knows and the breeding staff and the team that you're working with Lisa you're spending more and more time on plants that lend color but not necessarily through flowers so (laughs) we're seeing new, new types of coleuses and new types of celocias and things like that, which we can talk a little bit later. Um, And then the last point, I guess, Bill, is um, this concept of minimal maintenance. That definitely goes back to labor. So basically the only things that you're going to see normally in a color install is the initial treatment of the ground, the bed, the container, uh, and then planting of the plants maybe they'll put in one granular application of fertilizer and then it's survival of the fittest (laughs) and so that's why it's it always and Lisa you know this too whenever we get complaints from growers who are passing on concerns from landscapers it's all about how the plant failed and almost 99 percent of the time it is the soil conditions it's Mm -hmm. not the plant or if it is the plant it was the wrong plant Mm -hmm. put in that spot in the first place so but our plants tend to take the rap for a whole lot of things that they shouldn't so Mm -hmm. anyway that's that's some of the trends that i'm seeing bill yeah
0: no and that's that's really good information i think um you know you, you touched on everything from planting what they know and what they can be most confident in, but it still has to have a high impact in those key areas. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, an interesting balancing act, I think, minimal maintenance, but big impact. So, and, and really just about every green industry company talks about labor and everything that 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 captures in that conversation. Um, it's definitely one of the biggest challenges that we're, we're all facing And to me, it's interesting to consider how the plant selection can go a long way to alleviating that some of the labor pressure, um, whether it's plant selection or how those uh, products are delivered to market. So, Lisa, you can feel free to comment on what Jeff shared. And I do also think that the listeners are going to love to hear what you consider to be best performers in the landscape. Um, you've worked with some of the most uh, important crops our industry has over the over the course of your time with Pan American, and I know that you're conscious of everything from the pure aesthetics to the longevity and durability of these crops. So, can you talk a little bit about the the performance of these plants? Jeff mentioned how critical that is, really, that the longevity and how they hold up in the landscape. We all know that, but. Maybe take us through some of the ways that Pan American Seed and other companies evaluate products to determine their viability for this market. I think that there's a lot done behind the scenes that the listeners would really love to hear about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to, and I agree with everything that that Jeff is saying. And you'll hear some of the same terms that I'll be using. You know, durability, longevity. These are really uh, you know very key to the heart of products that succeed short term. Uh, and then become the long-term winners for the landscape uh, market and for the landscape installers. Specific to what Pan American Seed is doing in terms of evaluating products for the professional landscape market, um, we have trialing specifically designed with the professional landscaper in mind. And our 2021 trials will be the sixth year that we've done this in Elburn at our research and breeding station in Illinois. And this was an initiative started by my colleagues, Mary and Kevin, and I'm really proud to continue working in this and help to bring products to market that really serve the professional landscape uh, arena. Uh, What we do is we trial products in, uh, in landscape like beds. Uh, as Pan American seed research breeding, we trial in a whole bunch of different ways, you know, across multiple locations around the world. This particular trial is designed really for the professional landscaper. Um, they're, they're planted in raised beds with amended soil. We apply overhead irrigation, like, our, like the landscape uh, industry has shared with us. That's what, that's what happens in the professional landscape beds. Um, they're specifically sized plots. We replicate the plantings in sun and in shade because, you know, products are going to go in both locations, or they're going to be in a location where you get part sun, part shade. Uh, We're testing products that flower, that are foliage, that are perennials, that are annuals. So we're looking at a broad, broad swatch of products to see what's going to really apply to this part of the segment. Um, we, We also try to look at them for a significant duration of time because As Jeff pointed out, this landscape customers need products that last longer. You know, perhaps it used to be three or maybe four turns in some markets years ago. And now, as Jeff said, they need plants that last four months. And that is asking a lot of some genetics, but we're trying to bring products to market. And I think we have a good assortment of products that will fulfill that promise. So we're planting, um, we try to get things planted about Memorial Day and we evaluate them every other week up until about Labor Day. So through the summer in the Midwest. So what we also do is we collect data on a very regular basis. We're collecting data every couple of weeks and we're scoring how the product performs. And we're looking at you know, how, how quickly do these products fill in? because we know that the the landscape customers want plant material that's gonna fill in quickly and have immediate uh, impact, not waiting multiple weeks for a product to look good in the landscape. So we're looking at the trials in the context of that. We're also looking at the color impact, uh, be it flower color or foliage color. We want there to be an impact. Uh, So data's recorded. Scorings recorded, images are recorded, and you know, we also make notations of things that are kind of unusual events. Hail, <laughs> Japanese beetle infestations. So it's, you know, it's real trialing and it's real life. So we also collect that type of data as well. and. Uh, We also explored, in some cases, different spacing of plant material uh, to really fine-tune a recommendation that product A might be best suited at spacing of 12 inches. Uh, So we we try to really bring it down to that. And ultimately, what all this information goes into is we take some final assessments and products can be designated as pro-landscape worthy. And this turns into uh, several things that are available for uh, our customers. Uh, We make that indication in the Pan American Sea catalog and online on our website. And we also have a specific landscape website uh, that is designed that anybody can go in, create a product sheet based on location, based on seasonality, based upon exposure, and come up with an assortment of products that uh, have been trialed and will do well in that particular location. So that's kind of the full circle of what we're doing and trialing uh, at Pan American Seed to really bring products that serve the pro-landscape market.
0: And what jumps out at me is the real world replication. <laughs> you know, they, the, the, there's crazy things that can happen out in the landscape. and. Uh, just just, yeah. you know, just, trialing plants in a, in a perfect, pristine location is not going to create those <laughs> real world results. And um, yeah, another thing that I, you know, Pan American Seeds Catalog is, is gigantic. And, um, you know, add that to all the other seed catalogs or, and vegetative catalogs that a grower might get. And you're talking a, a stack on the desk. And I think that what you guys are doing to call out those pro-landscape quality plants, is really gonna help growers sift through, you know, the gigantic assortment, you know, and, and growers love plants, right? I mean, all of you who are listening love to order plants. And sometimes, uh, you know, you get you get wooed by the, the pretty picture in the catalog, but really look at those um, Pro Landscape designations because companies like Pan American have done the hard work to create those situations um, outside the, and see the true performance of those plants and taking the data over the course of many, many years um, and, and really have a solid idea of what's going to work and what you can feel confident in as growers supplying to the landscapers. Because something you said, Lisa, that I really liked was that the short-term success, so that one-season success is really what's going to build the backbone for that long-term future product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are products that have been around for a long time and continue to be planted in the landscape. but That doesn't mean that there's not room for a lot of new varieties that have really been bred to solve problems and solve challenges. You know, mm-hmm. I say it all the time that new, new varieties in our industry are new technology. You don't run your business on a computer from 1985. Back when you guys were working together at Pan Am, but no, I, you know, as as a grower, you really want to uh, to be on top of the newest varieties that are being bred for specific reasons, and that's annuals, perennials, really across the board. And it's very clear that Pan American has landscape performance super high on the priority list. Um, so I think that leads us to what really my final question, which is not a short question because you guys are plant nerds, which I love. Our industry's full of them. Well, half the listeners are probably plant nerds, so why don't we talk a little bit about new varieties? Everybody loves them. They're the lifeblood of our industry. Um, whoever wants to start off talking about some of the their, your favorite newest hot crops and why you feel they're ideal for the landscape market and landscape growers to get excited about.
1: Okay. I'll kick it off. I'm not shy about talking about products, particularly new products. (laughs) So thinking about, about this, I really wanted to put into the context of some key things, you know, Jeff's mentioned this, I've mentioned it, but it's about products that perform consistently. It's the year in, year out, season in, season out. It's also about uh, products that growers can have success growing. You know, we've seen some spectacular, great landscape performing products, but, Sometimes they're too difficult for growers to have success and we we still can make those available, but we also want to be realistic and make, have growers have success in producing them. Um, products that are proven and products that have that durability, that longevity, that just perform. So I'm going to highlight a few of them. Um, and the first one is uh, Jolt Dianthus. Jolt Dianthus is an interspecific dianthus and that means it continues to flower it doesn't put up seed and it just continues to perform and perform and perform through the summer what i like about the new color which is purple is it is i call it bold and vivid and electric and color matters and i think regardless of it being north america or any place around the world High impact color is a big key for landscape, be it in-ground landscape, big container landscape, showy basket landscape. And this purple really has it. It's very vibrant and very bold. Uh, The jolts and purple as well has this long flowering season in the summer. And it's a very strong performer, doesn't require the deadheading and the cleaning. So, and, and it's got that medium height You know, we also want products that aren't just front of the border or back of the border. We need to have plants that can stage uh, short, medium, tall, exclamation plants that are the big, tall, you know, large plants in the center of city planters or um, landscape beds. And so the jolt would kind of be in that medium height category. So, Jolt Dianthus, Jolt's been around for a while, purple's a new color, and it's a really, it's eye candy in terms of its flower color. Um, Secondly, I'm gonna switch gears into the perennial area and talk about uh, Echinacea, which is the artisan collection uh, recently launched from Pan Am. And this is the first F1 hybrid Echinacea. Well, why does that matter? Well, really it matters because it has uh, improved uniformity For, you know, F1 hybrids typically bring improved plant uniformity and structure. And so this is, this is an echinacea that is still evokes kind of a prairie look because we know that echinacea's prairie-like look is important for a lot of landscapes, but it's just a little bit, it's just more refined. Um, There's the two colors. There's a soft, there's a soft orange that is warm and bright, and there's an ombre red, which is red to red shades. And... This can be used certainly as a perennial, it's hardy in zone five, but also can be used as an annual, used in in planters. It's got the durability to handle drier conditions, and it's got a long flowering window. So again, it's answering some of those needs that that Jeff definitely called out is what the the marketplace requires. And the third one I'll talk about is impatience. impatiens beacon. And when Jeff and I worked together in the late 1980s, we probably were talking about super elfin or dazzler impatiens. The impatiens market made a huge shift when disease came in. Uh, And impatiens historically had been like the go-to workhorse for shade, landscape, everywhere. And that went away with impatiens downy mildew disease that really ravaged the impatiens market. So Beacon Impatience uh, brings impatience back to be able to be used successfully. It has high resistance, it's a genetic high resistance to Plasmopara abducens, and that's the cause of uh, impatience downy mildew disease. And it's been proven uh, in landscapes around the world that it will thrive for the entire gardening season. And these products perform well in shade in ground. They'll do well in containers. So it's impatience that many of us remember impatience to be, but has that extra in terms of having high resistance. And phenotypically speaking too, it's got a great plant structure. The flower colors colors are bright and vivid, and we've got the bright colors for the shade, such as an orange or a white. We've also got red and violet and the new rose. So, you know, Bringing full circle, what Jeff and I were probably talking about in 1990 uh, to today, you know, with a whole different different look uh, and feel, but also resolving a problem for um, growers and for the landscape market. So I would say those three rise to the top. I could certainly probably talk about another 30 more, but I know we have a little bit of time constraint here, <laughs> and I'm sure Jeff has a few he'd like to uh, share with everybody as well.
0: Definitely, definitely. I love all three of those. I Echinaceas are some of my absolute favorite plants in the garden. I think that sort of the prairie look you discussed is extremely important. People love looking at it and uh, and definitely in just about every setting, echinaceas work well. Uh, the dianthus certainly beautiful and high impact and the patients are back, which is wonderful. And I think as an industry, we're all very, very grateful for the, the breeding there that has resulted in the high, uh, disease resistance. So Jeff, uh, I know we can all talk new varieties all day, but, but why don't you, uh, give us a few of your personal favorites and, um, you know, from your knowledge of what landscapers are looking for, uh, what new products should growers turn to when they want to bring that cutting edge, uh, new look to their landscape customers?
2: Well, I'll pick up where, uh, Lisa left off. Um, honestly, the beacon impatience saves time and labor, which I've mentioned earlier. Um, there is an entirely new generation, literally a new generation of people that have come into a professional career in horticulture that have never known impatience while around, And that includes the landscape channel. And so what It also does, as Lisa sort of alluded to, it's one of the best plants for shade. So, and shade exists both in residential and commercial settings and commercial settings, especially in cities, they're constantly looking for things that will stand up over time in the shade. So for that five to sometimes six month period. Um, so that's, that's why Beacon is so, so, so important to bring back to the marketplace. And, and it's, uh, it's interesting. We're seeing the sales climb slowly. It, we, we just all sort of assume that they're back and everybody would just immediately start buying them. They are buying them. Certainly our wholesale growers are buying them. They are, but, but they're picking up momentum as people are literally this new generation are finding them. So Beacon and Patience for sure. Um, Wave Petunia. It has been with us for literally 25 years. Lisa and I were both at the beginning of that. We know the guy that wandered Anna Ball out into the trial grounds, uh, Jim Now, and pointed it out to her. And uh, we ended up getting it as a company for Pan American Seed. And it's still, even the original purple wave is still the top seller for the landscape trade. I did a little proxy survey with some of our regional uh, reps around the country and that's exactly what they said. The purple wave, because it spreads and it's super bright and it stays low, is still one of their favorite things. So old is reliable. So a wave, purple wave, the original purple wave is uh, still 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 earning its props, so to speak, uh, some of the other things uh, that I think are really significant for the landscape trade, going back to some of those trends, so our valiant vinca. So vinca, as uh, a general uh, periwinkle, is a big deal for the landscape trade, north, south, east, west, and getting varieties. The valiant has, has, uh, resistant, has high resistance, I should say, has high resistance to a few of the, the diseases that will tend to affect uh, um, vincas. Uh, and so for that fact alone, it's, it's worth uh, taking a look at, especially in the deep south, tend to get more high humidity and a lot of rain. Um, also for the deep south, and again, as more and more people are moving south, they're still going to want to have a lot of color in their landscapes. Uh, the hot pet marigold, not new, uh, not particularly sexy because it's a dwarf marigold, but it's a solid rock star in the landscape the, and the landscaper's no, they can rely on that. Um, kind of in that same vein, we have, uh, we've had it now for years and years. Uh, taishan marigold, uh, which is still the standard. Uh, it's sort of a mid-height marigold. Yellows and oranges still are. They reign dominant in the landscape trade, and uh, uh, marigolds generally are the are the go-to product for that. That and zinnias, um, and. Um, I guess the last one that I'd mentioned would be our Lucky Star Pentas, uh, which was an advancement on kind of the art of of, uh, pentas out there. But pentas are really, as believe it or not believe it, as we warm, um, there is going to be more and more uh, use or need for plants that are adaptive to warmer climates. We're seeing it certainly in the Midwest. And so Pentas, which never really used to be a thing in the upper Midwest, are now being used more and more regularly. So having a pentas that is more dwarf, we, we've had pentas for years and years. We've had the butterfly series, which is great, gets big, uh, but the Lucky Stars tend to, to be more compact and they stay tidier, nicer for containers or beds or whatever they're they're used in. Uh, like Lisa, I could go on and on. There's a whole bunch of stuff. We haven't even gotten into any of the vegetative stuff, but we'll leave that for the the vegetative group to have their podcast. But there's an numerous amount of uh, plants that are available for uh, the professional landscape trade. And it's our job to highlight those and get it out to them.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And, you know, the backbone of all those uh, new introductions is the trialing that Lisa talked about. and And the fact that, that, you know, like, Purple Wave and products that have been used for years and years, there's a a growing uh, love and trust in a lot of these new varieties. So I really appreciate you guys calling that out. And I love hearing new variety talk. It's always fun. I think everybody looks forward to it each year. Um, And it's great to hear that uh, Pan Am is definitely keeping that market top of mind when you guys work on your production cycles. Um, It's actually really refreshing to hear. And I think that growers serving the landscape market and landscapers should be uh very confident in these products um certainly knowing that they have been trialed and tested so real quick before we close you guys mentioned the pro landscape website and i will put links to that in the show notes but do you guys want to share any other resources for growers learning uh looking to learn a little bit more about the the trends and varieties most relevant to the pro landscape market
2: uh, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, uh, Thrive Poster. We have a, a device that uh, is now regional uh, for best varieties by region and six regions. It's based around climactic zones, not so much sales territories. And uh, that's, that's a very useful tool. Not unlike the Pan American Seed Pro Landscape site, uh, Ball, Ball Landscape, as uh, one of the pearls in there is actually a photo library of items that you can use in the landscape, as well as um, some pre-done presentations and and whatnot. So uh, it's a really good resource for growers. It's a good resource for the landscape trade itself. Uh, The tips and tricks page is actually available at the Ball Landscape site in English and in Spanish. Um, so that's
0: a useful tool. Excellent. Excellent. So I will put links to both uh, balllandscape.com and some of the specific uh, micro sites within that site that you mentioned and the panamericanseed.com landscape. It's a pretty easy one to remember, but I will put that link in the show notes and that, uh, and they, they both include a lot of regionally specific information. And like Jeff mentioned, that's based on climate, which is of huge importance, obviously, because, you know, as as each one of you as listeners are serving different regional markets, uh, it's best to know which plants fit squarely into those, uh, those, those lists. So as you're putting together uh, your plant lists for this year to sell to the landscape market, and certainly when you work on orders for upcoming years, these are fantastic resources to reference. So As much as I would love to talk to both of you for the rest of the day, which I could, no doubt about it. I think we need to wrap it up for now and let the listeners get back to the business, that business of growing plants and supplying plants to all of their customers, including the professional landscapers out there across North America and around the world. Um, You know, it's really part of Ball's mission to color the world. And I think that a lot of that uh, relies on growers selling to the landscape markets because that's where a lot of people are exposed to plants sometimes for the first time, even before they buy a home. Then when they buy a home, they look to replicate a lot of what they see out in in the market. And um, it's really exciting, again, to hear about the trialing and the breeding and the new varieties and the attention to detail I know that's uh, one of the strengths of Pan American Seed, and I really appreciate both of you joining me today, Jeff and Lisa. Thank you so much for all your time.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill.
0: And uh, I'm going to go ahead and close with that. And I'm Bill Calkins with Ball Tech on Demand, wishing you a fantastic season. Take care out there.